Please be aware that this episode contains discussion and serious allegations of child sex abuse, along with the mention of a derogatory homophobic slur, and therefore is intended for mature audiences. Please take care while listening. On a Saturday morning in April of this year, I set my alarm for 6 a.m. so that I could take an introductory call from someone who wanted to share their story with me for this podcast. If I had recorded this call, it would have been almost impossible to totally decipher what the other person on the other end of the phone was saying. Because for the majority of the two hours of our call, they weren't just crying, they were quietly sobbing. This is Josh. He is 29 years old, the father of two young children, and works as a facilities manager in the outskirts of Philadelphia. My dad is Mo Africa, or Alfonso Africa, and my mother is Mary Africa. They came into the organization when they was in their early 20s. They had six kids, and I'm the youngest. I was born into the organization. Why are you talking to me? Well, I'm talking to you because there's a lot of people that need to be free and don't know how to get free. And talking about the things that happen will help free them and make them feel safe. No one that grew up with Josh knows where he lives or where he works. No one in MOVE was aware that Josh has been participating in this podcast. The first time anyone in MOVE found out that Josh was talking was when the teaser Last Name Africa was released on July 2nd. The release of that teaser was timed to provide public exposure so that Pixie Africa could escape MOVE and go into hiding. Josh was aware of that plan. On that day, when Josh is exposed as being a source, it is only a matter of an hour or so until he starts getting phone calls and texts from people in the MOVE family. One call sounded like this. All right, Josh, now I need some info from you, homie, all right? I don't want to be blindsided by this. They wanted information about who was talking and what had been said. This MOVE member was and still is trying to manage the MOVE whistleblowers because the murder of John Gilbride and the child abuse allegations are a threat to their own agenda to be the new and famous face of MOVE. Over the course of two months, Josh and I were communicating via phone and text and doing a little bit of recording. But due to the sensitive nature of his interview, I felt it should be done in person. So I flew to Philadelphia in early June of this year and drove out to his house. Hi. I saw the little shoes and I knew it would be your house. I'm good. How are you? Good. It is late morning and Josh's fiance is out. So we get to hang out a little bit with the kids, which allows me to see Josh as a father. He's very hands-on and has a gentle, soft-spoken approach. And I can see how much he loves his kids. You are, oh boy, she's going to be. Soon the kids go up to nap and we go across to the little park to sit down and record. So I have your consent to record. Yeah, for sure. Okay. To put Josh's story into context with the story of John Gilbride is best understood if we look at dates or years. In our last episode, we explained the how, why, and when John Gilbride got involved with MOVE, his family's failed intervention to convince John to leave MOVE, and that John marries Alberta Africa just months after the failed intervention in February of 1992. 
So a lot happens in the year 1992. John marrying Alberta, the leader of MOVE, Ramona Africa being released from prison in May 1992 and becoming a very public figure for MOVE. Sue Africa, known as Rhea, gets released from prison on October 1992. So in January of 1992, Mary Africa gives birth to her sixth child with Mo Africa. Mo was released from prison nine months earlier. The sixth child is Josh. Josh will grow up always knowing Alberta, Rhea, Ramona, and John Gilbride. Josh has three brothers and two sisters. One of his brothers is formerly married to MOVE member Wit Africa, who is the sister of Mike Africa Jr. and the daughter of Debbie Sims and Mike Davis, also known as Debbie Africa and Mike Africa Sr. Also, one of Josh's sisters is married to Mike Africa Jr., I mentioned earlier that it was my very first call with Josh when he was crying a lot. This is where I'm going to start, and it involves a particular and very publicly known practice in MOVE's belief. I'm going to read directly from the MOVE website, onamove.org. It is in the About section under the heading, Our Children. We dearly love our children. We protect them and watch over them so they will become healthier and stronger than we ourselves. We are all one family, and all the adults help to look after the kids. We don't punish them through beatings or physical abuse. If they do something wrong, the whole family takes part in giving them direction and showing them what's right. We don't send them off to school for the system's brainwashing and indoctrination. We stay close to our children, and they stay close to us. If you look up my school records, you're not going to find nothing. I've never been to school. In the state of Pennsylvania, parents of children between the ages of 8 and 17 are required to enroll them in some type of formal education, public, private, or homeschooling. If homeschooling is chosen, it must meet the same educational standards required of public and state-accredited private schools, and the official paperwork must be submitted each year for each child. Parents who don't comply can be fined, and even jailed. Josh and all the other children born into MOVE are told that education is part of the system, not part of John Africa's belief, and that all you need is MOVE law in order to live in accordance with mom nature. Anything other than MOVE law will make you complicated and effed up. Josh tells me that his mother, Mary Africa, was trying herself just to teach her kids the basics. When I was growing up, I wasn't able to learn how to read and write. It wasn't allowed. And uh, I remember, I remember. uh, Josh is looking down and holding in the tears to the point that he's having trouble speaking. It's okay. Don't feel rushed. Mm -hmm. It just, uh, when I think about it, it just, it just felt like real messed up and how like now it makes things hard for me now. But I remember my mom, she uh, brought me this work, this workbook like that, had, like ABCs and numbers and stuff in it like that. <laughs> and uh, I was on the steps and I was using it and uh, drawing in it and everything. And um, <clears throat> Rhea had came up the steps and she started yelling and screaming at me and, you know, tell me how I would grow up messed up and I wouldn't be right and I would turn out like a whole bunch of faggots and everything else and and then I just put the book down how old were you probably like seven or eight 
Josh is not using the derogatory word faggot because it is his word. And I know it's really hard to hear, but the accuracy is important because this homophobic slur is used regularly in MOVE as a means of control, but as also part of the doctrine that homosexuality is a sin. The situation Josh is describing about the books being taken away from him is not unique in MOVE. It's the norm. I'm uh, the youngest of the older generation and the oldest of the younger generation. And none of them was educated or went to school. Like your siblings didn't go to school? No. How, what is their level of literacy? Um, not high at all. That's I mean, the girls and the boys? Yeah. Okay. All of Josh's siblings were born before May 13th, 1985. Josh's dad, Mo Africa, was in jail right before 1985 and then served five years. During that time, Mo's wife, Mary, was raising the five kids. And Josh tells me that she was trying to educate her kids. And Mo was in agreement, but Move found out and was not happy. It was Move men sending letters to my dad, the ones that were in jail and the ones that were out. And also people that wasn't in jail was doing it and threatening them and telling him that his kids was going just all types of threats and send stuff to my mom. So they left it alone. If they had sent you to school, then teachers would have seen certain things, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they would have had to report. Yeah. Especially with the girls. Yeah, for sure. Girls in MOVE, pregnant as young as 14, 15, and in Pixie's case, just 12. That would have had to have been reported by a teacher or school official. Josh tells me that when he was young, he had dreamed of becoming an architect. But without a basic education, he has only been able to apply his passion for design and building as a part-time carpenter and as a property maintenance man. How did you teach yourself how to read signs and pass your driver's test? And how did you did that yourself? Yeah, for the most part. So what happens if somebody says, read this document? I would get real nervous and I would uh, start shaking and it would take me a long time to read it and like sound it out. So you've signed things that you don't even know what they say maybe? Yeah. How do you see the rest of your life? Do you feel like you can catch up? No, I don't. I feel like uh, uh, that part of my life is lost and it's something that I can't get back. MOVE has kept the children born into the group from attending schools or attaining basic educational skills since the group began operating in 1972. Back in episode two, we first introduced Andino Ward, the father of Oe Wolf, who was brought into MOVE as a baby, becoming Birdie Africa. On May 14th, a day after Birdie survives the confrontation and fire on Osage Avenue, he is interviewed by authorities and social workers. And he tells them that he never learned to read, write, tell time, or learn numbers. He said he could identify one four-letter word, move. He was 13. Throughout the years, it appears that many attempts were made by local officials in the various agencies to review the overall situation of the children in move. But it was typically met with flat-out refusals to respond, and sometimes with threats. Move has always been very elusive about names, ages, 
parents of the children. And with home births, many children didn't even have a birth certificate. So outside of MOVE, there was no record of their existence. Josh didn't get a birth certificate until after he was five years old. But even with all the secrecy, MOVE has always been a very public group in the big city of Philadelphia. And the children have been part of demonstrations and MOVE programs at local universities. So one has to wonder, with all the non-MOVE people around, was anyone asking questions about the children? And in particular, about their education. We know that local reporters were investigating in the 1970s and 1980s because we found some archive stories, but it seems that after 1988, no one's looking into it anymore. Okay, this is the halfway point of the episode, and this is where I must warn you. The rest of the episode contains serious allegations of child sex abuse. Please take care while listening. Wit Africa, the daughter of Debbie and Mike Sr. and the sister of Mike Jr., was forced to get pregnant at 16. Pixie was 12. They both went on to have five children and move. Maria was able to avoid both pregnancy and marriage because people stepped in for her. Theirs is the experience of being female in move. Forcing sex on underage children under the guise of a move belief was not just happening to the girls. It seems it was also happening to the boys. As the only male child born into move going on record, Josh wanted to share what his experience was. Do you want to talk about what happened when you were 14? Uh, yeah, growing up throughout life, and uh, especially when you get like become a teenager, Maria and Bert would be telling you like, you know, age is nothing but a number, and John Africa didn't like people with preferences, and you know, you don't have to, to love somebody right away. It's like love is familiarity. Bert is Alberta, leader of MOVE, and Rhea, second in command. Like 14, 15, they say, like, you need to have sex because if you don't, then you wind up growing up and being a faggot. Vincent Leapart, known in MOVE as John Africa, the leader of MOVE, wrote and preached that homosexuality was against mama nature and therefore a violation or sin in MOVE. This is directly from MOVE guidelines regarding homosexuality. Either you a man or a woman. Don't blame your confusion on move. Blame it on the system. Everything y'all are comes from the system. If everybody did what homosexuals do, then life would stop. Why y'all coming at move? What you got an attitude toward move for? You ain't a man because you can't be a man. You ain't a woman because you ain't having babies. If you ain't a man and you ain't a woman, what are you? What does that mean if you're 14 and you're a boy and you don't want to have sex. Then you're a faggot. And faggots don't have no place. And they should be put in the ground and cycle. Homosexuality as a violation or sin in MOVE, they believe is punishable by death. All of the children born into MOVE that I've spoken to, both on and off the record, told me that they grew up knowing that they must prove that they weren't homosexuals. And in order to do that, they had to agree to heterosexual sex. So then how do they make sure that you have sex? What do they do? They would uh, get a sex worker. Did that happen with all the boys? I believe so. So when you were 14, that happened to you? Yeah. Who arranged it? Uh, Rhea and Bert. Where did it happen? Uh, it was different places. They would take you there? Yeah. And... What did you say? I don't remember saying anything. What did you feel during all of that? I felt 
I felt strange and uh, uncomfortable. Who were these women? Um, they were random. I never met them before. Older? Yeah. How many times did that happen? Probably like six or seven. If you don't do it, then you consider it a faggot. And that means? And that means you should be cycled. Who would cycle you? Whoever was told to do it. You really felt like if you didn't do it, they would murder you? Yeah. Josh is alleging that the adults involved in arranging, paying, and or physically driving him to sex workers at age 14 were Alberta Africa, Sue Africa known as Rhea, Carlos Africa, and Josh's own father, Mo Africa. After being with sex workers, Josh says he would be summoned by Rhea to answer explicit questions about the sex. I have reached out to all of the adults that Josh is alleging were involved and have either been hung up on or not had my call or text message returned. According to the laws of consent in the state of Pennsylvania, teens between the ages of 13 and 15 cannot consent to sex with anyone who is more than four years older. Maria, she used to uh, ask me, like, she wanted to know, like, what type of sex I would have or, you know, like, what type of sex and what type of positions. And uh, she would say stuff like that to me. After you went to the sex worker or just in general? Uh, Sometimes just in general and after. Why would she ask you those questions? She said John Africa used to ask them. Multiple sources from inside of MOVE have told me that sex was talked about openly, often, and in explicit detail. It seems to also have been common practice for the women in MOVE to not wear underwear and that certain women would fully display that they were not wearing underwear, either by not wearing a bottom, flashing people, or opening their legs. This would not have been alarming to the children born into MOVE because they were being raised that clothes were technology and part of the system. So nudity was the norm. Nudity was being aligned with Mama Nature and John Africa. This has been corroborated many times over, both on and off the record. For the last six months. Josh was open to talking about it in our interview. Do you have any memory of the women not wearing underwear? Yeah. Maria, uh, she used to do that. Did she spread her legs? Yeah. In front of you guys? Yeah. What was she trying to do with that? Um, now that I think about it, she was looking for a reaction, but I wasn't like, I couldn't think that way at that time. So it didn't, like she was a lot older and like, you know, I, I just couldn't. She wanted, she was trying to seduce people? I believe so. At the time of these allegations, it was 2006, 2007, and Josh would have been 14, 15 years old, and Rhea would have been 57, 58 years old. Growing up in MOVE, you're in a bubble by design. The leadership uses the doctrine and the beliefs to form the reality in that bubble. The children are taught to be scared of anything or anyone outside of MOVE, and that John Africa is their God, and the guidelines are their Bible to live by, without question. Having the children be naked 
was a norm since the very beginning of MOVE. Yeah, they said uh, because the more clothes you have on, the weaker your skin and the weaker it makes you, the more civilized it makes you. So what happens in the winter? You, uh, it's still the same. So do you remember being cold? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How cold? Like, uh, your hands get cold and they start to hurt, but you're not supposed to wear gloves because that makes you weak. In a closed group like this, they also have their own terminology that reinforces the belief, the practices, and the everyday normal activities. A term that was used frequently in MOVE and even expressed to close outsiders was mooching. What is, is, what is mooching? Mooch? Well, it's pretty much, uh, it's pretty much like a, like foreplay. Like, pretty much like touching and filling and almost sex. So that's little kids? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In MOVE headquarters? Yeah. And who's in the room? Um, it could be anybody in the room. And they're watching? Yeah. Why? I don't know. And what were you told about why this is happening? It's natural. As a father with young kids, what do you think about that now? It's disgusting and it's not normal. So who taught them that? Right. I don't know who would. Were there older kids teaching the younger kids? Yeah. Somebody had to show them and then they told them to do it. Right. And what if somebody tried to stop it? It's natural. So they would be in violation. So your parents knew about this? Yeah, they had to. I mean, you got six kids. So who was usually in the room when this was happening? Um, it could be like anybody or nobody. Did it happen a lot? Yeah, I think so. So who wanted it to happen? I think it just... I don't know, it just started to happen because it was, I don't already started. Two of my sources had both heard the word mooching, but had believed it to be innocent. And it was explained to them it was like little kids hugging and being like kindergarten age boyfriend, girlfriend kind of thing. If a supporter said, oh, I heard you guys were mooching, you'd be like, oh, I guess they know about it. So it must be okay. Right. Yeah. Was there any children that didn't have to do that? I don't think so. Not that I know of. What about the kids now? The kids now, I don't think they do that. But you're not 100% sure? No. If this kind of sexual abuse is allegedly happening after 1985, using the same guidelines and beliefs before John Africa dies on May 13th, then it would not seem to be unreasonable to assume they could have been happening all along. Who from back before 1985 is willing to answer questions about this? And if questions are answered, and this bears out to be true, then were people trying to blow the whistle and report this, and nothing was done? If anyone listening has information to share about this, please reach out to us. Josh spent 26 years living as a move child, a move teenager, a move person. Three years ago, he made a clean break, cutting off his dreadlocks to symbolize a new start. 
I just want people to feel comfortable telling the truth about everything and not be scared of, you know, reinventing and just say how it is. When his first daughter is born, Josh and his fiance name her after an Egyptian goddess that embodies the following seven principles. Truth, balance, order, harmony, righteousness, morality, and justice. When their second child is born, they also pick a name with meaning. So you named her after your mom, Mary. Yeah, <laughs> growing up, uh, Rhea and Bert, they used to tell me, <clears throat> they used to tell me my mom wasn't no good and she wasn't a real mom to me. She didn't, <clears throat> she didn't really love me like that. <clears throat> then when I uh, stopped being around, <clears throat> when I stopped being around people so much, I just wanted my mom to know that I still love her. <laughs> After everything, Josh still loves his mom, and he wants his mom to love him. Do you think your parents will listen to this? No, probably not. If they were listening, what would you want to say to them? I would want to know, like, why they never done anything to get from under that control and fight back. Josh is building a new life with his own family, but it's clear that he doesn't want to walk away without trying to make as many people understand as possible. What he says is the real move. What do you think about people who've like written books or made movies so far? It's not the full story. It's only... And what does that do to you guys when it's not the full story? It gave me a bad feeling. Like when I see the word, you know, move, it gave me like chills. I was talking to a friend through text and he said um, he's packing up to move. And like that, in that sentence, move was in there. And it's like, it just start bringing bad feelings back. But sometimes I wake up out of my sleep just dreaming of just about bad things and just wondering, like, if things was different. The last name Africa, what does that mean to you? It's a, to me, is a name that I wish I never had. It's, uh, it don't mean nothing to me anymore. With Josh's permission, I phoned both of his parents for comment before publishing this episode. His mother, Mary Africa, never returned my call. His father, Mo Africa, hung up on me. I relayed this to Josh, and he sent me this text message. I wish I had hope in them that they would do the right thing, but all I have ever had is disappointment. Anyone that believes like they believe, it is to be expected. The only thing I feel is anger and frustration. And the only thing that takes that away is knowing that my kids will never have to go through it. I just really hope like it make other people stand up and talk about the truth. Why are people inside of the MOVE organization scared to speak up about all of this? The younger ones, they don't know nothing else. I mean, it's almost like going on a boat ride and the captain is driving the boat and now you're out in the middle of nowhere and you say to the captain, I don't like this, I want to go back. He say, well, if you don't like it, you can get the fuck out. But you're in the middle of the ocean. And the thing is, you never was taught how to swim. The older ones, they're scared of something more. If you're not with move, you're against move. And if you're not with move, then you're an enemy. And move never had any feelings for enemies. You're not a valuable tool to them anymore. So you got all that information you need to be getting rid of. Josh's story is his own, but as is common in destructive cults, his experience was not the exception. It represents the system of abuse that all of the moved children were forced to endure. 
denial of education, sexual grooming by adults, the forcing of underage boys to have sex with sex workers has been confirmed by multiple sources that it was happening to other boys in MOVE. Underage boys and girls were also directed to flirt with and or sexually seduce adult supporters, which was part of MOVE's longstanding recruiting process and a means to acquire all sorts of needs for the cult leader, money, free labor, housing, influence, connections, etc. If you have any information about the 2002 unsolved murder of ex-MOVE member John Gilbride or about the crimes committed inside of MOVE, please reach out to the podcast via email, murderatryansrun at gmail.com, or message us on social media. We would appreciate if you would rate, review, and share the podcast. And definitely follow us on social media for bonus content and news. This podcast was reported, hosted, written, and edited by me, Beth McNamara. Archival research and producing by Robert Helms. Thanks for listening. The producers wish to stress that all individuals referenced in this podcast series are presumed innocent unless or until they are proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law in the United States of America.